Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's food and drink program. I am Markus Hippi. This week... It's not that I can manage or control the dishes. I can show them precisely how to do that. But my way to do it is to tell them stories, to let them watch and look in a different way and to think in the right way that I think that you have to do when you are creating food. Eyal Shanion, the tricks that made him one of the most successful Israeli chefs and restaurateurs. Then we cross over to New York, where Brazil's Gera Fasano has opened his very first eatery in North America. To open a Fasano restaurant in a very almost iconic location was a real challenge. I think for the Fasano brands, it's the best way we arrive at here. All that, the week's headlines and a dinner soundtrack recommendation ahead in this episode of The Menu. Up first today we meet Eyal Shani, who is one of the most successful Israeli chefs and restaurateurs. He currently runs over 40 restaurants around the world and is best known for Hasselon fine dining restaurants and for Miznan, which is a more casual concept focused on Israeli street food and pizza in particular. Eyal's latest opening took place in London, Soho, where he opened a new Miznan restaurant just some days ago. And that is where I met the top chef. Look, there's the pita. A pita is a bread. That is the most genius bread in the world. Why it's the most genius bread in the world? Because pita is a sandwich. But sandwich mostly is open all around or from three sides. Pita is closed from its three sides. That means that if you are putting a food inside the pita, the steam wants to get out, but it can't because there's a lot of ingredients. So the steam began to circulate the food and the pita. And the pita is like a sponge. It's absorbing the right amount of the steam. And the rest of the steam is taking all the taste of all the ingredients and mix them together. Therefore, pita is a thing that improves your abilities as a chef because you cannot work with steam. You don't have the warmth and the body to do it. Pita does it. Fifteen years ago, suddenly I felt a passion to put my finest food of the Salon restaurant inside the pita. I don't know why I felt that passion. And then I saw something so simple, but amazing to its period. Look, in the history of food, pita used for shawarma, hummus falafel, schnitzel maybe, for a very basic food, and holy food, but a basic food. And suddenly I discover that when I put the finest food inside it, inside the pita, it's improved so much. So I understood that pita don't prefer a basic food, but prefer all what you believe that can enter in. So you started doing that. You that started. was my first attention to the abilities of the pita. And great success followed. Now you have a number of restaurants around the world running with the same concept. Is there anything you can't put inside pizza? Another very interesting question. Look, 
to do a sandwich is something very easy because you can take a car from the parking and put it in between two slices of bread and, and of course, inside the pita, and it will be something even much better than a car that is parking on the street. But the amount of the possibilities are limiting because in the beginning, in the very beginning, you find the precise combinations. It's like crystals of combinations that you found in the beginning. And I found it in 15 minutes when I opened my first Miznon. From that period ahead till now, it's becoming slower and slower my ability to find new combinations that are perfect combination for pita. But I'm still finding. And here also, I found three new combinations. In London, can you tell me about those favorite combinations? All, so your principle, obviously, is that when you open in a new country or new city, you want to come up with original local combinations. i tell you one thing. I'm not doing misnons for making business. It makes sense, but for me it doesn't make sense. I'm doing misnon to improve and to develop my language, my cuisine language. So I need new people, new audience, new streets, new cities, new temperature, new weather. I found that the most amazing thing in Pita, that is, is one of the best translators in the world for culture. I'm coming before we open it. I came here for 10 days travel with my partners, they show me the character of the city. Each one of them took me to its own London. And then I tried to reduce all my impressions into a dish or two or three dishes. In the end, I have a beautiful variation for an English breakfast in a pita. An all-English breakfast inside the pita, that's going to be the best English breakfast in London, I swear to you. I have a beautiful variation for fish and chips that it's completely different, but there's a fish and chips inside it. I have a beautiful combination and variation for shepherd pie that you cannot imagine. There's no less than three new dishes that I put them exclusive to London because without inspiration of the city, I have nothing to do here. And I admire that city. About food, you know, it's a very small cuisine, the real English cuisine. But the bases are very strong and very inspired. So you say that you launch new restaurants in different parts of the world because you want to develop your food philosophy. philosophy. And my abilities, because it's like if you are working alone or if you are working with other people. If you are working with other people, you're creating a chain of brands. You're creating a net made out of culture, different cultures. And in the end, you are the one that is expressing it. But to come to London without being surprised and inspired and admired, I have nothing to do with it. So I think that I will make three new asses out of London. And that is just the beginning point. It will develop itself. 
through the future. What has your London experience been like so far if you compare it to what it was like to work, for example, in New York when you were launching restaurants over there? Has it been different working with these individuals over here? For me, I think New York is very similar to an army camp. It's a big tribe that got its own rules. Most of the rules are binaric rules. Yes and no. Zero and one. They are living as a tribe. They got common thoughts, common feelings. It's like a big tribe that represents one man. They are working in groups. The structures is built out of millions of pixels that create one creature. In London, as many the people are the varieties of thoughts. Each one of the people here is thinking in a different way got his own ideals, his own words, his own point of view. It's made out of individuals. It's like a big zoo of so many creatures. And that's amazing me. And also the movement in the streets. There is no system. Each street that you are entering in, giving you a completely different variation on the same subject that is London. But the most important thing, that they got a sense of elegance here, the English people got a sense of elegance, and in the end, it's the people that are making the city, and not the city that is making the people. That is the big difference between New York and London. I wonder what happened to the American individuality over there, and It's always surprising to hear someone call the British people elegant. Look, they can be brutal, but in a kind of way, they are like cats. Cats are very wild, can be very aggressive, can be <laughs> very noisy. But you are looking at their movement, they got style. And that style is made out of elegance. And that's the way that I see the English people. Listen to your words the way that you're creating your sentences. You're working with your voice. You are changing your voice through the sentence. American English is a flat English. There's one voice that 280 million people are talking with. And here, everybody got his own accent, his own way to talk that language, and his own way to breathe through the talking. Amazing. I'm wondering what it's like to be the boss in a place like London now. I'm wondering what kind of what kind of a boss are you when you are running this business over here I and dealing with thing. this? I have so many restaurants. I have something like that is going to be the forty third restaurant. I think so. I'm not counting because I'm. Uh, <laughs> I will be afraid out of it. My only way to control the process is to inspire my chefs. I'm trusting them. They are part of my inner parts. And they are carrying my knowledge, and they are carrying my thoughts, and they are carrying my feelings, and they are carrying my perspective. So it's not that I can manage or control the dishes. I can show them precisely how to do that. But my way to do it is to tell them stories, to let them watch and look 
in a different way and to think in the right way that I think that you have to do when you are creating food. So I got a lot of mind influence on them. And you can see when you are passing from a country to another country that will exist there, it's talking about different items, different dishes, but in the end, it's all the same because it's coming from the same thoughts that I convince my people to think. I wonder which other countries or cities inspire you at the moment. I'm wondering... It was very inspiring for me. New York is so beautiful. It's like city of gods. You are raising your head, looking on the towers. You cannot believe and you said what they have in their mind that they built such a city. So inspirations you can find anywhere in the world. You just have to look. Where would you like to launch your next restaurants? <laughs> Maybe in a very exotic place. We never did a restaurant in an exotic place, like in South America, even in Lisbon. Places that weren't changed, that the big money didn't enter. That is very interesting for me. But each city is so interesting for me because it's like meeting a new, a new friend. You are entering into his mind and discover a completely new, different world that you couldn't imagine that it exists. But till now, I'm very satisfied with the decision to do it here. And we have so much to do. So much to take out from the city, so much to give it back. I'm doing this interview with you a day before the launch. You've done this many times before. How do you stay so calm? It's coming in waves, you know. There's few minutes that are very excited. There are other few minutes that I'm desperate. <laughs> There's a lot of minutes that I'm looking and try to understand the vision and the shapes. Look, I learn how to transform a pressure into creativity. There's no reason to be under pressure because it will not help and it's making you to be very little. So everywhere that you are getting there, you recognize the limitings. So instead of feeling that you enter into a prison, into a cage, it's better that you will think that the limitings are shaping a new shape for you. Therefore, I'm so calm. I'm waiting for inspiration and for the luck and for good karma and for beautiful interaction between new people that most of them yet I don't know. A lot of surprises will come out and to stand in front of the surprises, oh, that's the best that you can get in life. Eos Johnny there and his new London restaurant Miznon is open now. Up next, the week's food and drink headlines. Here is Monaco's Lillian Fawcett. Philippine brandy giant Emperor Dor has listed on the Singapore Stock Exchange as part of a bid to expand internationally. The secondary listing, which means no new shares were sold, saw the firm's share price up 3.4% after the first day. Emperor Dor is the world's largest brandy maker and hopes to make half of its sales outside the Philippines by 2050. 
A restaurant in a Copenhagen football stadium has been named the best restaurant in the world on this year's 50 Best Restaurants list. Three Michelin-starred geranium beat number two Central in Lima, with Disfrutar in Barcelona taking bronze. The annual World's 50 Best Restaurants list is produced by British media company William Reed and is based on a poll of international chefs, restaurateurs and critics. A major UK supermarket has scrapped best-before dates on most of its fruit and vegetables in a bid to reduce food waste. Marks and Spencers will change labelling on around 85% of their fresh produce, including potatoes, apples and broccoli. Best-before dates mean food is often thrown away when it's still safe to eat. They will be replaced with a code telling employees when the produce is really going off. And a man in Colorado has pushed a peanut up a 4,000-metre mountain with his nose. Bob Salem used a spoon taped to a sleep apnea mask to nudge the nut up Pikes Peak in central Colorado. The climb on his hands and knees took Salem nearly seven days. Thanks, Lillian. You are with The Menu on Monocle 24. Up next, we cross over to New York... Early this year, iconic Brazilian restaurateur Gero Fasano opened his very first eatery in North America. Fasano, located in the former Four Seasons in Manhattan's Midtown, serves classic northern Italian fare, helmed by chef Nicola Fedel. Inside, New Yorkers delve into homemade fettuccine with lobster and veal ossobucca served in silver-domed platters. Monaco's Clarissa Seabach Montefiore met with Gero Fasano at the restaurant to find out why he's drawn to tradition and why he decided to open in New York. I decided many years ago, but I didn't make it through. So, I mean, since like 20, 30 years ago, I tried to have a restaurant and a hotel in New York. But for some reason, the project's now this time to be telling the truth. I think it's destiny because this restaurant was a next for seasoned restaurant that was made from my preferred architect in the wood, which is Zyde Weinfeld. And they closed it. So they called me to have this operation, which changes everything. I mean, I didn't really love it like it was before. So now we, we could transform it in a fazano. And that's why I'm here. I think it's really his destiny. I was chosen by Mr. Stephen Roth to be here. He gave me this restaurant. What attracted you to the space? The infrastructure that is here, it's amazing. I mean, the two kind of dining rooms that we have, the first one is the Osteria, and the other one is the main dining room, the Fasano, restaurant more northern Italian, Italy cuisine. And I love the location. I, mean, I love everything. I think it's very unique to have this opportunity. With so much money spent in this restaurant before, so I did it in my way now, but a lot of things was already here. By your way, what do you mean by that? What touches Hafasano brought to you? As I told you, I always want to have a Fasano in New York. And we tried the hotels before, but this opportunity also to come just... We have a small hotel in uptown, very nice, private, but to open a Fasano restaurant in a very almost iconic location was a real challenge. I think for the Fasano brands, it's the best way we arrived here. And 
The cuisine is Northern Italian. Why specify Northern Italian in particular? What are your, some of your favorite dishes? I mean, I was raised by a father and a grandmother that were born in Milano. I mean, that's not a choice. It's a, <laughs> it's a way of life. And my favorite dish, I mean, I love the risottos. The risotto, when well done, is really amazing. And I grew up with the risottos of my grandmother. And I love the liver alla veneziana. It's one of my favorite dishes. The risottos and the Milanese view, which is, I grew up with eating Milanese views in my life. So it's my dishes that came from my life. I think that's the truth when you serve people. I mean, that it's, you love what you're serving. That's my point in being a hunter. Are any of your grandmother's recipes used or recipes from your childhood? Yes, I mean, it's, uh, we try. And here in New York, we can find a lot of really good ingredients, more than in Brazil. It's amazing. We can find really everything you want from Italy, everything you want, you can find it here. Italian cuisine is simple, but it has to be very well done. Our purpose is not to do a creative cuisine. It's a very original Italian cuisine, classical, but really, really well done. That's, that's our aim. That's what we try to do. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up. Where did you grow up? What did your parents do? What led you into the hospitality industry? So my great-grandfather opened a restaurant in 1902 in Sao Paulo. Then it closed in the 30s. And then my grandfather, that was born in Brazil, but was in Italy, came back to Brazil and he reopened the restaurant for the first time calling it Fasano, that is in the 40s. And, but it was not really Italian cuisine. It was a kind of international cuisine. So then, when my grandfather died in 68, I reopened the Fasano in 82 when I was 20 years old. So what I think of all these 120 years of history, that each generation could do it in its own way. I think it's more interesting than having heritage, something that we have to carry on. So I could do it my way, my grandfather did it in his way, and my great-grandfather did it in his way. So I think this is great. What was your way? What was the restaurant? I was the most... The only one who was not born in Italy, I was the one who wants to penetrate in this small city that my grandmother was born, where my grandfather lived. So I really became a very specialist on Italian cuisine, really, on the northern Italian cuisine, because I just loved it and I traveled and I lived there. I became enthusiastic of following my roots. That's why I think uh, we succeed. And 20 years old is really, really young. What challenges did you find being so young at the helm of a restaurant? Things that till then I was rich. My father was billionaire, (laughs) but suddenly he lost everything. So I was living in London trying to study cinema and movies in London International Film School. But then he really bankrupted. I came back to Brazil trying to work with him. So then I decided to do what my grandfather used to do it because I want to live by myself. So I decided to reopen the Fasano. That must have been a real shock, your father losing all his money. How did that feel? 
I mean, he said to me not to do it because his father had a restaurant and his life was terrible. Had no weekends, no end of the years, no nothing. But I said, but I think I was always a night person. You know, I always loved to be late. I mean, and so I decided that I want to do it. My first restaurant was a disaster. <laughs> but from the second one, I really liked it very much. And you said your father was a billionaire and then he lost all his money. How did that feel to go from feeling like you have resources to having very little? I mean, when he was very rich, I was communist. So I didn't <laughs> feel a lot because really, I was 19 years old. I started working and I never thought about it, really. I mean, I, I don't like money at all, to be true. I mean, it's not... I like to live very well, but, I mean, I don't follow money. I follow my ideas, my thoughts, my... I think I have this mission to put the Italian cuisine in the right position. I love this. This is a challenge thing to me. That's so simple, but to me so important. Tell me a little bit about Fasano Fifth Avenue. That's a private members club. So why make that into a private members club? What kind of clientele are you hoping to attract and what mark are you trying to make on New York with Fasano Fifth Avenue? It's a very, very small property. The property belongs to my partner. So, I mean, we made it private because we have 14 rooms to rent. So, really, I mean, it's so small, but it's so unique, so nice. Everything's made in cashmere. I mean, it's, it's really cozy, and it had to be this way. That's why we understood was the best way to do it. It's also got a beautiful location overlooking the park, Central uh, Park. The location is out of the blue. I mean, it's really amazing. I mean, your closet, it's facing the park. It's, and most interesting is the windows goes to the floor. So you really are in the park. You have the feeling that you are in the park. What's next for your brand? Have you got any more plans to expand internationally in Brazil, in North America, in Europe? Yes, my partner just bought a building in Miami to transform in Afrozano Hotel in a very good location, South Miami Beach, nearby the Soho House. And we're starting to do the project, two years project, not more than that. We're going to open Afrozano Miami in two years' time. And why Miami? Because it's one of the cities that it's, it's on our plan. I mean, like London, I'd love to, like Paris, I mean one of the cities that it's, it's on our plan. I mean, not, not just Miami, not specifically Miami, but I mean, had this opportunity, it was good. He bought the building. My partnership with my partner is not in the real estate thing. It's just on the operation of the hotel. So as long as he bought the building, we can be together to operate the building. If he buys it, something in London that he's trying to, I would love to. Just to finish here, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about your chef in Fasano restaurant in New York? The chef, Nicola, has worked with me five years in Rio before. I mean, my chefs know that we want to know the real Italian kitchen. We want to look for the best ingredients to make it like you were in Italy. Even if they are very creative, very, but they know that they should do it the real classical Italian cuisine. And it's always 
a way to do it lighter. That is our really aim on the cuisine. I mean, like, if I look at the risottos that I used to do it 20 years ago, I couldn't not eat today because it's much more butter, much more Parmesan cheese. Now we do it more liquid, more tasteful, more... So that's... I mean, we improve, but in a small environment. We don't like fusion cuisine. I don't trust on that. I mean, I don't trust an Italian dish with a... Asian sauce. Why don't you trust Because it's, I mean, I was born like that. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> You're a traditionist. I think so. I, I don't uh, put myself in any classification, but uh, yes, probably yes. Gero Fasano there in discussion with Monaco's Clarissa Seabach Montefiore. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you're listening in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for great recipes. And obviously, you will find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. This show was edited and mixed by David Stevens and I am Marcus Hippi. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is Pablo Albaran with Carretera y Manta. Thanks for listening. <música>